welcome to this supplemental episode of Women at Warp. I'm Sue, and I am joined today with three very special guests, and we are going to talk about the Orville. The reason I'm your only regular co-host is because I'm the only regular co-host on Women at Warp who is watching the Orville. Um, and mostly, I decided to watch because I knew that we'd get questions about it. And we got so many questions about it that we're doing this episode. See, it's all cyclical. But... <laughs> I'm going to stop talking now and ask my lovely guests to introduce themselves. Give us a little bit about your history with Star Trek, since it is a Star Trek-inspired show, and then maybe why you decided to start watching The Orville. Uh, and let's start with Sabriel. You have been on the show before. Oh, yes, I have, and thank you for having me back again. Of course. Apparently, I didn't scare everyone off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sabriel Maston. I have been a lifelong Trekkie since I was a very little girl uh, and been watching it uh, throughout my life. And I started watching Orville. Once I heard that, okay, so seeing Seth MacFarlane, maybe we can dig deeper into this later. I don't know. I don't want to steal the time away, but I started watching Orville because I, even though I'm not a big fan of Seth MacFarlane, I know he's a massive Trekkie. And then I saw um, Rick Berman was also on it. And then I saw Penny Johnson, right? Uh, on it as well, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And so I did. Awesome. Tegan? Um, let's see. I uh, I grew up a Trekkie uh, with my parents. We used to watch um, Next Generation religiously. Um, yeah, the first convention I ever remember going to was a Star Trek convention. I remember at one convention, I, I got to ask Patrick Stewart what his least favorite line he ever, ever said in a movie was. And uh, the answer was, God's what a monster from David Lynch's Dune just in case you needed that knowledge. Um, and uh, I started watching the Orville um, because I had a bunch of friends who were watching the Orville and they were like, this is really cool. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Like, I, I like Star Trek. I have mixed feelings about Seth MacFarlane and his and his brand of humor. Um, but we'll give it a shot. And I liked it. And then I started making my parents watch it. Now my parents are like, is there a new episode of the Orville yet? So <laughs> I guess it was a hit. And Casey. All right, get ready for this. So my experience with Star Trek is that my uncle was a big fan and my parents were like, whoa, gross, nerd. <laughs> um, and uh, as I grew older and kind of came about with my ner nerdiness, I tried watching Star Trek and I could not get into it. Which is weird. Like, I like TNG. I enjoy TNG. But I don't love Star Trek. So, the reason why I started watching The Orville is because I'm a big comedy nerd as well. Um, I grew up watching Robin Williams and Steve Martin and basically all of those influential 1990s comics and movies. And I... I'm a big fan of the a family guy from seasons uh, like two through four or five, which I think is like where some of their best work is. And I, I, I like sci-fi and comedy and it's a rare combination. So I gave it a shot and I liked it. The end. <laughs> I think the most Star Trek you've probably ever watched is when I made you watch a bunch for a, an anomaly episode on data. Yes, you did. And <laughs> And it was still pretty good, but I'm just like not, oh my God, Star Trek. Oh my God. <laughs> Which is a valuable perspective to have, I think, when talking about the Orville. So since it's been mentioned a couple of times, why don't we talk about knowing that this is a Seth MacFarlane show and expectations going into it. Um, I'm sort of also in that mixed category of I don't really love Family Guy, although I can appreciate some episodes of it. I don't really like Seth MacFarlane's brand of humor. I was really turned off when he hosted the Oscars, but I decided to watch it anyway. I had a friend who, who kind of put it best that one of the things that he doesn't like about Seth MacFarlane is his tendency to punch down with a lot of his humor um instead of instead of one of the things that you know people are often you often say you know if you're gonna tell jokes about you know people or a group punch up 
you know, don't just, you know, start, you know, beating on minorities um, because it's the easy, easy target, easy joke. Um, so a lot of a lot of the reasons that a lot of people don't like Seth MacFarlane is because uh, he has had a history of, of punching down with his jokes um, and not understanding why people are mad at him for doing that because he was just making a joke. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um. so that was credit to my friend Micah. So if you actually listen to this episode, Micah, you helped. <laughs> so as the resident comedy nerd, the, the reason why Seth MacFarlane's comedy is... Uh, so divisive as well as so popular is because punching down humor is the easiest to kind of grab onto. Um, Especially if you're taking an improv class, the easiest scenes to start out with or the most natural inclination is to begin angry and uh, starting a conflict. It's just, that's our natural human nature. We want to, you know, protect ourselves and, that's how we act. And sometimes it can be funny. And there are comedians who do that. But comedy that is more well-rounded also includes punching up. The comedians I like are very introspective and kind of punch down on themselves. John Mulaney is a good example of this. If you've ever seen a stand-up, he makes fun of the way he looks and makes fun of the way he talks and how he was raised. But he also punches up with minority figures and groups and we're kind of at this weird evolution where people are starting to be more aware and the comedy is starting to mix i can get it more into that later but that's kind of where i am at seth mcfarland because he started very much with punching down but i'm noticing in the oroville he's kind of starting to punch up a little bit well i was just thinking that is, is family guy even still on i i, I mean i don't know uh, I I believe it is, but it's not show run by Seth MacFarlane because he's uh, focusing on the Orville and, you know, producing movies and things like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Cause I was just going to say, I wonder how much of a progression we've actually seen in his humor if he is kind of cut down with the punching down. Because I think Orville is, is definitely his transition phase. Like, wow, he's, he seems to be finally growing up at whatever, how 40s he is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it definitely seems more socially aware than his previous works but I I still feel like there are some blind spots and I wonder how much of that uh his progression is he's got different writers on the show Mm -hmm. he's got people Mm -hmm. who've been around around uh the scene for a while yeah and not just him (laughs) I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I mean surround yourself with people who know what they're talking about and maybe he's actually like kind of starting to get that right finally in places, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it takes time. Time to grow up and evolve. So then after you started watching, I would say, at least for me, the first couple of episodes, especially the first two, because that's when I think a lot of the conversation started with people who were coming to me anyway. It felt like there was some, at least to me, some really good sci-fi core, but that the humor for me in the show fell flat and it was a bunch of dick, dick jokes basically. Yeah. That was a, like, I loved happy Arbor day as a, as a punchline, but the fact that the crew apparently didn't think it was nearly as witty um, as some kind of dick joke. I'm like, really? Like, come on guys. It was Arbor day. Please. <laughs> like it's a thing. Yeah. It, it, those moments are my least favorite about the series. Uh, when they make the, just like, constant uh sexual references like i don't mind them i can get humor every now and then but it's just like bam 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 sometimes it feels like it's always there ever present but then once in a while they'll they'll or it's usually a good share of the show they switch up the humor and it's it is like self-defeatist or or um punching down on themselves and Mm -hmm. or or even these moments where like if you watch star trek all these years um the scene will end but will still stick on the moment and the characters will say something referential like like, man, that really sucked. I'm like, these things are things that you would know happen on the Starship Enterprise, but they never see you never see that. And like, you know what? That's awesome. That would happen. Totally happen. <laughs> so, Casey, yeah. you were talking about um, starting a scene in an improv class with a conflict. And I think it's widely known that by the time of Next Gen especially, Roddenberry's 
stance was that humanity had moved past interpersonal conflicts, which is what made a lot of writers very upset in the writer's room of The Next Generation. Um, But there is an interview with Brandon Braga that was done by Trek Movie, uh, where he was talking about how the Orville takes inspiration from Trek. And he said, essentially, we have a ship of exploration with characters that are more recognizable than your typical space opera. And that is where comedy comes from, along with the neurotic foibles and relationship problems. It's kind of like the anti-Star Trek, in a sense that Roddenberry's universe, people had moved past that kind of stuff, but on the Orville, were close, but not quite. Yeah, that's that's why I like comedy in, in that sense, the Orville, and kind of why I found Trek kind of difficult to get into, just because for the past, at least the past two millennia, we have been a very conflicted species, so I can't imagine what the next two millennia would look like in terms of resolving conflict. And, you know, 2437, to me, that doesn't make any sense. People, you know, take a long time to evolve and change their ideas and, you know, kind of come together on a certain belief. So, and... The reason why I love comedy so much is because it's kind of like, yes, it is punching down, but it's also a celebration of imperfections in humanity. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about recently. It's just like, why do I like comedy so much? Oh, yeah, because the world is imperfect and dumb. And it takes forever for people to change as well as societies. So that's that's just my cup of tea, as I, I say, as I drink my cup of tea. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I agree. I like this part about the Orville where most of the characters are the everyday person. In Star Trek, that was so rare, or you barely got a glimpse of that in these professional people's lives. And that's something endearing about Orville. One of the most professional people here, I think, is uh, Penny Johnson's character, Dr. Claire. Everyone else is just this like caricature of something out there. And, but a lot of those people are more relatable that way, too. Yeah, I found her interesting from the very beginning when Ed, Seth MacFarlane's character, says to her, why aren't you commanding your own ship? Like, she's set up from the very start to be the most capable person on that ship. Yeah, and, and she's like, no, that you know, she's, she's happy being a ship's doctor. Like, that's <laughs> what she does. Hey, but that means, I guess, humanity's gotten to a point where she's like, yeah, I did my, I did, I'm here, I'm out there, I did what I want to do, and here I am. So one of our comments on Facebook was actually about her. Uh, John P. said, I would love to hear your thoughts on the presentation of the doctor as a single mom. I'm wondering if that's supposed to mean in contrast to Beverly Crusher, who was also a single mom, but who never did any parenting. (laughs) I'm not a parent myself. Do you guys have any? I oh, have no. felines. <laughs> yeah, no. No. Cat mom. <laughs> no, I will say, you know, as far as, as watching shows where you have a lot of parents, it's very interesting to actually see on a, on a Star Trek type show actual parenting going on. Um, even though it's like you're sitting there going, God, her kids are jerks. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. my God. Claire, I, I do like the fact they, that um, they, they do state that she chose to have kids without having having a, a male partner or any kind of partner yes. in her life. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that they, because that is a, a choice some women make, and I like that they, they let her make that choice. Um, and then she has these two obnoxious children. Um, and I like her response when Isaac, the android, is giving her parenting advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, nope, you don't get to tell me how to parent my kids. You know, and I do like the fact that, you know, the kids do start up being jerks and they do get better. Mm-hmm. Um, over 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 time, I like um, that so they're real. real. Yeah. yeah, they're not whiz kids. They're not you know studying studying quantum physics in the fifth grade, you know, and they're they're fighting over a video game. <laughs> like that's kids are are kids. Yep. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, and I uh, told my mom recently, "Why didn't you go to therapy? <laughs> there were three of us." And she, and you know, she was a single mom for, you know, a time. She and my dad divorced when I was 14. And she, she basically raised her three daughters 
kind of on her own and you know our dad saw saw us when he could with his work and i'm like mom i can't imagine you not having a mental breakdown with us and without saying so much she basically said yeah i did i did because you know parenting is hard (laughs) parents never know what they're doing kids don't know what the hell they're doing either because they're kids and they're growing up and they don't understand the world around them it's not until those kids have kids that the parents go, oh, I know what to do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's why it's such a great choice. You know, she has these two kids. She's totally competent at her job. She's handling it completely. And it's she's not a single mom because of some loss. She's a single mom because she decided to be a single mom. Yeah. Twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I and I like the fact that you know, no one, no one judges her about this. You know, the only person who judges her is is Isaac because her kids are monsters. Um, <laughs> you know. well, Isaac of all people, too. it's just Isaac. You know, yeah, all kids are monsters. <laughs> Let's not lie to ourselves. They are beautiful, and they are our future, and they are horrible. <laughs> Says the panel who have no children. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then while we're on characters, let's talk about Ed and Kelly. There's so much talk about this relationship. For anyone who's listening who hasn't watched the show, Ed is the captain, Kelly is the first officer, and they are divorced because Kelly cheated on Ed with Derulio. More on that later. But (laughs) um, there's a, a whole lot of talk about how great it is that there's this relationship where they can continue to have affection for one another in a platonic way and be professional and distant enough that they can work together and accomplish things. But also we have these scenes where she's basically making sacrifices because she feels guilty. And um, Oren on, on Facebook said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the way Kelly cheating is used to set her up as a target for retaliatory abuse in the workplace. And it happens. I mean, Ed has brought it up in their their senior staff meetings and even on the bridge and it comes to play in several episodes oh the entire yeah. ship knows and brings it up constantly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and, the, and it only doesn't stop being a thing until after they deal with derulio more on that later <laughs> but yeah no i i remember just being kind of you know frustrated because you know kelly is shown to be a really competent professional um and uh in the back of Ed's mind, he knows that she's a very competent professional, but he still kind of can't let go of of the emotional, you know, minefield um, surrounding you know how how their how their relationship ended. And I do like the fact that they actually they actually do have a, a good fight about it um, in a couple. You know, they have a, fights about it a couple of times, um, but still, it really does suck. You know, as a, as a woman watching the show and seeing her you know, getting in trouble, you know, getting yelled at for, you know, cheating again and again. It's like, we just get like over and done with and just move on, please. Yeah, I was definitely getting to a point before the, uh, the Rulio episode where I was like, okay, guys, you've used this joke so much. This is this punchline is just like so old by now. Come on. And uh, that's what I have to say. That. I was like, this is really tiring. And I mean, not just the hardship of watching her go through this. I mean, yeah, it sucks for him, too. But, uh, you know, Watching this constantly over and over again, it was just, come on, get over it now, please. Can we get done? Can we be done with this, please? Well, it has nothing to do with your job. Exactly. Right. Why is it? Yeah. Why is it constantly a topic of conversation? You know, and it's uncomfortable because you know these sorts of things actually do happen in real life. Like okay. you know, you know, <laughs> personal relationships. You know, um, you know, often, often are, are uh, you know, are lead to workplace terrible shenaniganizing. Um, so it's like, after a while, it's like, okay, guys, I see you did it. You, you keeped it. Okay. Can we just, okay, fine. I'm going to just sit here and wait until you're done. And then the really episode happens and things get less terrible in that regard. Well, in some ways, in some but... ways they, and then in other ways they get worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, more on that later. <laughs> so are there any other characters we want to take a look at? I mean, I just love Lieutenant Alara. Uh, just because yes. I think she's cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, uh, I don't know how much depth there is to there. She just she kicks a lot of ass. <laughs> she's a young kid, yeah, and um, literally kicks I, ass. 
Yeah, I like um, that when we got to see her parents in that one episode. That's right, that's right. Um, yeah, because, you know, her parents were like, why did you join the military? You know, that's, you know, that's so, that, that was a stupid choice. You know, you can always come back, kind of go to school, you know, do something good with your life. You know, and, you know, Laura's like, you know, hey, you know, humans, you know, view, view military service as a great honor. And her parents are like, yeah, but they're like the hillbillies of the galaxy. <laughs> you're like can't argue there <laughs> but uh, yes yeah, so you got to see a little bit of of, of depth of the Lara there and then her fear of failure in that other oh, episode right. yeah that so they did they, they have been exploring a lot of because Lara does feel a lot of responsibility since she's so young and uh and, and in charge of this you know massive responsibility on the ship um so they're they're giving her a little more depth I'm just you know hoping that because it's they keep sort of hinting at her maybe getting a crush on Ed. And I'm like, please, for the love of God, just no. Can we just not? Please. Just no. I like that they have sort of developed a, a friendship between Alara and Kelly. But mm-hmm. I don't love that they're always talking about Ed. Yeah, no, that's their seems to be their only friendship. That's their only reason. topic of conversation. Yeah. But the other thing, the thing that frustrates me with Alara is that a lot of the time we hear her complaining about either being broken up with or being unable to find a boyfriend. And she feels the reason is that men can't handle being with a woman who is physically stronger than them. And it's just another one of these things where at this point in the future, we're not past that. I mean, if we're we're going back to the humanity hasn't uh, evolved past that, some of their failings. I mean, that doesn't seem too much of a stretch to me. It just it's just, it may be disappointing, but it doesn't yeah, seem I think that's where it is. It's probably just disappointing. <laughs> it's like I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Come on, guys. Maybe I'm just tired. <laughs> like okay. <laughs> I like Bordas personally. Bordas. Oh yeah, I like. You know, he's pretty much a parody of. Dwarf, and yep. my favorite parts are when he says, "I can sing," and when we were this close to hearing him saying, "My heart would go go on." <laughs> that is, we were so I, cheated. I think that was we where I blasted the most in this series. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like that instant where they cut off the music and called Ed and Kelly into the office, I was just. I also thought this is the perfect way because now I can only imagine it in my head how it would have gone. <laughs> and, and really, that's the best way. With some pretty good timing. Have anything? Yes. Yeah. Uh, th- this cast as a whole. I mean, looking at it written out, looking at it even staged for a photograph. Again, is very TNG. You know, you've got your alien security officer. You've got your at least first season TNG, your, your young woman head of security, you know, the, the cast looks like the next gen cast in an alternate universe. Oh, you're right. And, and what I was reading uh, Rick Berman's piece on it or uh, comments on it. He's like, basically, no, this isn't Star Trek. We weren't trying to copy it. I'm like, you literally <laughs> copied everything and just changed the name. And that's okay though. Yeah. But he won't admit it. And he did the same with the cast as well. Yeah, just just be honest with yourself, man. Just, yeah. It's yeah. funny to see how often he says things like, we know it's not Star Trek. We're playing tribute to it, but we're very conscious that we're not Star Trek. Like, sure, dude. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Whatever, let's just sleep at night. Nobody wants to get sued. Nobody wants to get sued for being, Star, for being <laughs> Star Trek? I don't. Yeah, Axanar will happen again. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> we no, did have I, one comment that says, are we sure CBS isn't collecting royalties? <laughs> We're not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, again, like, I've known Seth MacFarlane is a huge Trekkie, and I swear, maybe it actually did happen. I don't know, but he just went to CBS and said, can I make a Star Trek show? And they said, no. So yeah. he went to Fox and said, hey, I'm going to make a Star Trek show, but not call it Star Trek. And that's what this feels like. Yeah. Yeah. There's an anecdote from Patrick Stewart about Seth MacFarlane coming to eat with um the cast of tng and that he just kind of started crying <laughs> oh that was a good way <laughs> well i should Aww. hope so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one but his dad crying for the tng crew i mean i can see it happening 
I believe it. And he's day. he's had the TNG crew on an episode of Family Guy. Yeah. Like as a whole. I I believe it and it's a hundred percent true that he is a lifelong Star Trek fan. And the the trappings of T- of of Star Trek, especially of Next Gen, are all there. Like the ship looks very next gen, the costumes. I I even love that there's a fourth color, so it's not just three divisions, there's a fourth. And I think the separation is between science and medical. But doesn't so. matter. <laughs> like it looks great and the the tone feels like TNG and it looks like TNG, but like it's it's tilted. So there's there's that addition of like the potty humor and the dick jokes where for me it just kind of makes me roll my eyes but then there's some storytelling and maybe it's because I've been with Trek for my entire life but even when there's some really good sci-fi core story I feel like I've seen a lot of it before I feel like there's not a lot new oh for sure like uh, a number of times I'm watching this with my partner and I'm like, okay, I saw this in Voyager. The episode where time goes so fast. Uh-huh. Or different planes. I'm like, yep, you did this before and all that stuff. And usually I can tell exactly what's going to happen pretty close. They usually put a little twist on it by the end. But like, yep, I've seen this before. Seen this before. Yep. <laughs> Even the social media episode. Um, I can't think of a Star Trek example of that. But there have been several books that use that kind of like communal ranking system in society where I watch this episode and I'm like, yeah, but it was done better in this book or in that book. And admittedly, 40 minutes on TV is very different from several hundred pages in a book. But it's still like, I don't get anything new from a lot of these episodes. Well, there's no such thing as an original idea. Well, true. (laughs) And uh, typically, um, I, I personally believe that no interpretation or is better or worse than the other necessarily. It's going to find their audience somehow. And, you know, it, it also depends on taste if you're going to gravitate towards one story or the other. And what makes it original is the medium that it's in. And in this case, it's sci-fi comedy because Black Mirror did something like this as well. But it was, and even though it had a comedic vein, it's Black Mirror, yeah, I, I just heard about, yeah. I just discovered this episode. I haven't actually watched it yet, the Black Mirror one. Uh, someone yeah. was telling about that in California. I'm like, oh man, this sounds just like the Reddit episode in Orville. Mm-hmm. I have to go back and yeah. watch that. And also, it is our reality right now. Well, we are. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Five star reviews for this podcast, please. <laughs> Seriously, do it. <laughs> like me on Facebook, please. I just need friends. <laughs> All right, so should we get into two of, I would say, the more controversial, I can't speak. (laughs) There is actually one character I'd like to mention real quick. Oh, yeah. Um, John, what was his name? Lieutenant Commander John Lamar, uh, Mm -hmm. the pilot. Yes. His his character went from, like, nobody to engineer by the end of the season. I mean, I thought that was awesome development. Yeah, I like I like his arc because he because uh, you know and I especially like the the kind of reveal of oh he's actually brilliant he's not just the guy who wants to sit there and drink soda on the bridge you know yeah, yeah. like he's legit brilliant and the the reason why uh, he kind of hides his light under a bushel is because uh, you know apparently back where he's from it's not cool to be brilliant so uh, so he tries to keep that on the down low so I thought that was really kind of that was kind of really interesting reveal. Um, yeah. And the fact that he actually did kind of step up to the plate, but in his own way, um, not not in a leadership position like everybody else. Like, hey, guys, if we finish our work early, we can go drink. So let's just do this. <laughs> and yeah. and I, I really appreciated that about him. I like that they added his brilliance on top of his already established character rather than him being like, yes, I'm actually brilliant. This is the way I really talk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, he's just a dude who happens he, to be really smart. Yeah, Absolutely. I didn't catch until just now. It's the exact same thing Jordy did. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch that at all. I don't know why. It's like right there. <laughs> Except Jordy didn't have this transformation of pilot to. He was just suddenly in engineering. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I do like that they showed him during that that arc struggling with leadership. I mean, I think it's sort of what we got out of Barkley, 
right? Not everybody who is in Starfleet slash the Planetary Union is perfect by any means. Oh, absolutely right. And Star Trek to touch upon that a few times, but I think they, I mean, I want to say weird to say that Orville did it a little better or more maybe relatable. I think, than... I think it's a little bit more relatable with the Orville because everybody is that way. It's not one person on a ship of perfect people. Yeah. Which point Orville, I guess. <laughs> Go team. <laughs> not Here, that I'm we're comparing. We're not comparing. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's talk about about a girl. All right. Okay. This is the episode uh, in which Bordis and his partner, Clyden, have a baby, and that baby is female. And apparently, which is very not true on the Mocklin Society, a female is only born every 75 years. False, because we have met at least three. Yeah, in one episode. (laughs) In one episode. Um, Which is another thing to delve into in that culture that we're not there yet. But uh, And then they go to trial about whether or not they should follow the Mocklin ritual tradition order of performing, quote, the procedure that will make the child male. Yeah. Um, so I think as the uh, writer on Autostrad will put it best, where this, felt, this episode feels like it would have been progressive 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days, just like so the conversation has been able to advance much past this. And you know what? Through it all, though, I still don't hate this episode. It just very surface level. Like I mean, that's kind of how I feel about most of the Orville episodes. Is if I don't dive into them, I can I can enjoy this. But if I start digging into it at all, like this kind of crumbles. And this yeah. episode is a good example of that. So minutes after this episode aired. And I screenshotted it. That's how I know. Um, we got a tweet. The Women at Warp Twitter got a tweet that said it took five minutes for the Orville to do a better job of handling trans issues than Star Trek did in 50 years. And I don't know how I feel about that tweet. Um, you know, OK, so if anyone doesn't know, I am a trans woman. Um, I can kind of see what they're getting for here. And I think it means specifically the first five minutes. <laughs> um, mm. Maybe not, but it felt like that. The first five minutes, it's like uh, everyone's reaction to saying this, this procedure needs to get done uh, was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, no. Yeah. And I think the reactions were great. And that's better than I think I've seen in a lot of Trek who just kind of skirt the issue as much as they can. And I mean, I still I came away from the episode, even though, like I said, on a surface level, surface level, it is not the worst thing in the world. And it seems like Seth MacFarlane's good chance, good try, uh, base level effort to try to fix some of the things he's done in the past. Mm-hmm. It definitely, yeah, and, his portrayal of trans people in the past has not been good. No, uh, it's been downright awful. And some of the things I've turned me off family guy. Yeah. But, um, and all these other shows, um, I'm just going to drop it there. I just, yeah, I feel like, again, as you said, like it, you know, as someone said, it was, it, it would have been progressive 10 years ago, but I feel like a lot of it boils down to writers not quite understanding the terrain right now. And I mean, yes, they tried and yeah, good on them for trying, but I feel like they could have spent a little more time, I don't know, researching, talking to, you know, actual people, uh, um, that you know this this kind of might have impacted in in the past that sort of thing to try to find a more nuanced way uh, um, outside of um, Rudolph the Red nosed Reindeer um, to try to deal with the situation. Although that was super adorable, uh, them sitting, uh, you know, uh, Lamar uh, and uh, and uh, Malloy sitting down with Bordis trying to explain to him about you know why it's okay that you know he has a daughter and not a son because that's cool we're gonna watch rudolph the red-nosed reindeer um you know the old the old rankin bass special the isle of misfit toys and we'll understand that everyone has a purpose let's go but see that that's the whole thing that rubs me the wrong way about this episode the the tribunal and the the it seems like the message was more about like being a woman is not a, a deformity, is not a disadvantage. Yeah. 
rather than, you know, you have no right to make decisions about the organs of another person. Yeah. Uh, as um, Kelly's character says, uh, sorry, Doc, I'm not feeling well. I had a, I have the tits all day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that does. Yeah, it, I mean, it makes it really a difficult argument. <laughs> it was, you know, why don't it? Basically, she says when when Kelly is acting as the the lawyer, you know, why why can't there be a woman in your society? And women are weak, and women aren't smart, and women are are stunted socially, and the whole trial scene is just proving that that's not false that women can be smart and that women can be strong and that women can be all of these other you know anti-stereotypes right and it's not it it felt much more like girl power than it did trans rights you know is that just me no No, you're right yeah i agree i i was actually gonna say that uh to me this episode um I don't know if you guys know this, but I took a sociology class in college. <laughs> Let me look at a little knowledge. Um, it, to me, the episode was more about um, intersex issues and uh, gender kind of mutilation as well. And basically parents making that decision for their child about how to identify because there have been cases where um, kids are, you know, born one sex that they didn't want or they were born with uh, both sexes and the parents were just like, well, we want them to be this or we want them to be that rather than having that child grow either to be comfortable with their identity or to make that decision themselves. Um, And to some extent that argument also, for some reason people are focusing more on the circumcision argument than they are on this particular issue. Uh, (laughs) And uh, down with the patriarchy, PT dubs. <laughs> I thought that was a really interesting talk. I, I thought that was a really interesting thing they did in this episode, though, and I'm not sure if they even realized they did it when <laughs> when Bordas brought up circumcision, because there is a movement to stop it. Yeah, and, yeah. and at the same time, there is a whole religion, a very powerful one, that considers it a covenant. Oh, oh man. Yeah, no, I saw actually legit discourse about circumcision on Tumblr. Like, there was like this, you know, someone was like, no, there is no cabal of moms out there to mutilate their kids, okay? That's just not a thing that they do. Like, it is, in fact, you know, deemed necessary by Dudes like dude chooses chooses to have his his son circumcised so he doesn't think he looks weird compared to dad, mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing. So I'm like, yeah, why did you bring up the circumcision argument, guys? It's not the same thing at all. What the heck? I know you guys are really really sensitive about that area sometimes, but <laughs> Billsies, why? But I mean, it, in for some people, it is considered you know infant genital mutilation, and for yeah. others, it's not. And it's yeah. it's a loaded topic, and I'm not sure if the writers' room knew that. You know, the surface, it's, you know, like, the whole episode kind of felt like a. I read about this a little bit online. I think we can write an episode, and that just kind of <laughs> adds to that. Well, the thing with is that nobody's going to totally understand fully the issue that's at hand, especially on the time schedule that a TV program or a movie is made maybe you know some movies have a little more time you have that young screenwriter who has spent seven years on a screenplay and then it happens to be picked up and distributed and wins oscars and suddenly they're working on a hollywood schedule where they have to work a little more quickly but unless you get a u.s senate or u.n sized congregation of people who are experts in the issue and also creative professionals it's going to be very difficult to get that much information which is a ton of information in a 40 minute episode that's going to be really tough yeah especially for people for you know normal joes to really ingest that so they basically i'm saying the orville did with the best the best that with the time that they had they bring up so much in this episode 
And yeah. that's, that's the hard part with 40 minutes of TV. They open this huge can of worms and there is not enough time to address it all. Cause not are there only all of these issues. There is, you know, Kelly says, well, there's universal ethics, but are there universal ethics? Like that's a question yeah. in and of itself. How far do you go in respecting individual cultures versus your own code of ethics? Yeah, one of the things I will say uh, that was kind of clever about that episode that that someone pointed out um, was the Mocklin homeworld, and you know when you, they fly into the Mocklin homeworld and how polluted and crappy it kind of is, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know how how they're just you know willy nilly firing off weapon testing <laughs> like wherever, um, and so it's pretty yeah this is a all dude society, so that's just how it is. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, so they're trying to make some kind of statement about, about you know, without without the guiding hand and checking influence of the female part of the species, they're just screwing things up left, right, and center. And I'm like, well, that could be an interpretation. I can see where you went there. Like, that, okay. They try. <laughs> the hearts. So there was an article on The Advocate about this episode as well that brought up the revival of will and grace um, in the sense that, yeah, people were conflicted about that because it is at times very problematic, but also in its original run, it helped to make the idea of gay people in society more acceptable. And it did that to make the point that while those of us who are more versed in these issues might see problems with it, we should use it as an opportunity to begin conversations with people who aren't as familiar with the issues of uh, trans and intersex rights. So me, I feel a little bit conflicted about even that. Because yes, you're trying, but you're still messing up. I am conflicted too, because yeah, I've seen that stepping stone in other materials too. Even yeah, but definitely like Will and Grace. Like, it's unfortunate that we need just a stepping stone and can't just dump it on people. But society is just very slow to take ideas, mm-hmm. and so I can understand that, and I think I can reason with that and be okay with it. But I hate that we need that step. Yeah, maybe that's how best I can say it. Yeah. It all takes time. That's really all it comes down to. It's going to take a long time for us to really get even one-tenth of the grasp that we want to have. Um, unfortunately, it's Hollywood. <laughs> so the article says, This episode aired on primetime television, a world that is still a barren wasteland devoid of any transgender or intersex representation. Many of the people watching these shows are still not used to having to look to niche platforms to find their representation. They don't immerse themselves with LGBTQ culture on a daily basis and still lack basic understanding of what being transgender or intersex even is, let alone the prejudice that those communities face. And then later in the same paragraph, it says, the opportunity given by McFarland's attempt shouldn't be used as a chance to push those trying to understand away, but instead used to continue to advance education and understanding about gender, intersex, and transgender issues. It, it almost feels too nice to me, too forgiving. Yeah, I mean, there should be like, you know, McFarland, you messed up um, in, in your attempt here. But at least you tried to start the conversation. But that doesn't negate the fact that you kind of messed up, dude. But at least, you know, you, you, you did a thing. So. You know, for Seth MacFarlane, I think it's a massive jump. But uh, <laughs> It is definitely a big jump for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is a baby step for him. Especially yeah. from, from Family Guy. <laughs> <sighs> Again, we're all only human. Do we have any more hemming and hawing to do over episode three about a girl? I'm done. All yeah, right. Yeah. Probably yeah. Didn't stood, but this is a good start. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one episode covering as much as we can. Let's keep going. Let's move on to uh, episode nine, Cupid's Dagger. This is the episode with Rob Lowe that completely ignores consent. Literally. Yes. The worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> So Rob Lowe plays Derulio. We've alluded to this at the beginning, how we would come back to this Ed Kelly Derulio situation. And it turns out his species goes into heat once a year. And of course, because 
sci-fi exudes a pheromone through his skin that makes anyone he touches fall in love with him. So it's a little bit the naked time, the naked now, um, but he can control it and decides not to wear gloves. Yeah, it was just irresponsible. <laughs> um, you know, again, it's one of those things like, and I think someone pointed out that it's weird that the union doesn't apparently know about this you know, in their in in this in this society, in their in their alien you know biology, mm. like they don't know about the guy going into heat. Oops. Or if they don't, it's negligent um, and irresponsible. Yeah, um, but you know, again, this is this is yeah, completely kind of ignores ignores any kind of idea of consent, um, and like you you found yourself like yes there are moments that are funny and then you sit there later and you start analyzing it going oh god i was laughing at that that's horrible <laughs> one of the under underlying things um when they were talking about derulio is kelly actually ends up asking later when they find out about the whole pheromone thing um you know saying you know you mean i i you know basically i think uh in the notes that sue put up was um, instead of saying that you know she was raped or anything, uh, Kelly says, "Does this mean I didn't cheat on Ed last year under my own free will?" And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like again, it was Drulio. Just was you know, Drulio's people are apparently like super chill, and it's like that doesn't excuse the fact that you didn't. You know that they, these people didn't ask for this. Um, doctor, so Claire, who we love, uh, our favorite ship's doctor, has been fending off the advances of a gelatinous crew member for the entire series. Um, she has been she politely put him, you know, put him off. She, you know, explicitly said, "No, this is not going to happen. Stop coming by." And then gelatinous crew member gets hit by Derulio's pheromones because they because Derulio accidentally walked through him or something, mm-hmm. and uh, and Claire ends up getting it on with the gelatinous crew member because she finds him super hot all of a sudden. And, and then when he like, doesn't call her the next day, she turns into the jealous ex girlfriend stereotype. Yeah, that, that's I, I really immediately. That. Oh. Yeah, and it's just like, why did you do that to Claire? Like she didn't she didn't deserve. You know, this no one deserved this. And it yeah. aired right after that episode where we see her with her kids. So it yeah. undid all of that character development. You know, I just rewatched this episode this morning, and I don't know if the writers even realized what they were doing. <laughs> I, I don't know if they real, it gave any thought to it. Uh, to like, oh, the way we're saying this sounds awfully bad if you think about it. I just don't know that they did. Yeah. I think it, it was Here's, just a he- funny joke. In uh, the fanfic universe, they call it sex pollen, and it's a very popular trope, and it has been for the last however many years of, you know, genre television. There would be a spell or a plant or, you know, some potion or chemical concoction Mm -hmm. that makes people unwillingly lustful or fall in love with one another. Um, I'm thinking of that episode of Buffy where um, Willow you know, has that power to just make anything she says come true. And Buffy and Spike are like, we're going to get married because we're in love. <laughs> and there's an episode of Jack of all trades that has that. So it's, yeah. I'm not saying that the trope is okay, even though, especially since I am guilty of enjoying those things. <laughs> but, I, th- <laughs> yeah, I think but, the hey. difference here is that this character knows this happens. So he's not mm-hmm. doing it inadvertently. Yeah. And keeps it a secret and does nothing to prevent it. Yeah, whereas opposed to most yeah. things, it's just a some kind of affliction or disease or spore. Like it's an, yeah, or, yeah, or again, it's a, a purely accidental. And so you kind of get that one step removed saying, well, it's accidental, so that's fine. But Derulio, it's not entirely like deliberate, deliberate, yeah. but, it's del- but it's deliberate enough. And he's not doing anything to prevent it. Right. So he's just standing by and letting it happen. And the character even says the line, what's the worst that happens? We all have some great sex. Yeah. Uh, No. (laughs) No. Some non-consensual great sex, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. It's It's weird. Dubiously consensual. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're saying yes, but at the same time, they don't know what's going on. They're not under their own control. Correct. So so there's no ability to consent. 
exactly. Yeah. Um, especially in this, in this now, you know, in this environment that we're now talking about, you know, you know, louder about consent and about, you know, what's appropriate in, in, in relationships, you know, having this, this episode happen, you're sitting there going, this was, this was not, not, not good guys. Yeah. This also aired like right after a lot of the news stories broke, like the Harvey Weinstein story. Again, not great timing. No one could have known. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it didn't help. Uh-huh. We had no one could have known, but everyone did know. Yeah, which is weird. <laughs> In some roundabout way, it also contributes to the conversation, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking yeah. about it. except that it gets played off in the episode, and like they trick, they use this pheromone. He comes clean, tells people, and then they use this pheromone to trick the two warring factions into falling in love, quote unquote. To, to stop a war yeah. so they're again using it without consent to trick people it's a deception it's just frustrating but we had a, a facebook comment from ariel who wrote the show's pretty uneven on the one hand the straight captain hooks up with a male alien and nobody makes any no homo jokes or passes judgment on a straight dude for hooking up with another dude on the other hand, the alien produces sex hormones that make him irresistible and has sex with people his pheromones impact, and nobody in the episode can really articulate that this is non-consensual. Yeah, I will say, like, I loved Ed getting excited about his date with Derulio. Like, I liked that whole yeah. no homo aspect yeah. of it. I was like, oh, good. Like, maybe Ed's actually bi, but then it's like, it's the pheromones. So that's, that's. Well, oh, that's just not, that's not good. But I like how supportive his friends sort of were in a weird way. Like they weren't, they weren't upset about the, him going out with the dude aspect as much as they were like, Derulio, you mean the guy that your wife cheated on you with, Derulio? Yeah. Like that's, that's the guy? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, hey. Nobody explicitly makes any gay jokes, but it's pretty clear that Ed is expecting them. Yeah. In that scene, which was a little bit weird. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think I also like in your notes, you're pointing out that, that Kelly has uh, spent a, a good chunk of her time apologizing for the affair. Um, and again, as we, as we were alluding to, this is the episode where they finally kind of put the affair nonsense to rest. It only took us like nine episodes to get here. Um, <laughs> but when they were finally like, well, Derulio's pheromones, she might not have actually wanted to cheat on Ed. However, let's point out that Ed kind of had emotionally abandoned their relationship in his drive to do work, um, so that Ed finally admitted responsibility for his part in how their relationship collapsed. So we got that we got that moving forward, so that's great, but it still doesn't excuse the Derulio non-consensual pheromone thing that we just sort of avoided talking about. Right, that's a point from an article on WeMinoredInFilm.com. So I will, every article that we mention, I will make sure to have links to in the show notes if people would like to read them in full, by the way. Again, like, and, and you're sitting there and you're watching the episode and Rob Lowe is really good at being charming. Um, so, yes. yeah, that was, that was kind of well cast on their part. But at the same time, I feel like they made a huge misstep in not addressing the fact that this was not consensual um, and, and this is not cool, you know, and this is not funny. Well, it's it's and, kind of the it is the anti Star Trek in that way where Orville often brings up ideas but doesn't doesn't uh, explore them. Where Star Trek often would, this is the thing. This is why it's bad. This is the fix. Mm-hmm. Picard would have a big speech and we're done. Orville just kind of plays with it like, Haha, look at this thing. He has the pheromones. <laughs> it's a joke. And then that's the end of the episode. I also think that the Orville also kind of has the audience kind of ask and answer their own questions in a way. I like, it's just like, it kind of leaves things open for people to kind of debate after the episode ends. Like I'm thinking about the one with the krill where the, uh, Ed and his friend, Gordon, I look over. Yes. Gordon. Yeah. Uh, where they, uh, disguise themselves as krill and end up killing a lot of, people and then the curl teacher is just like kids witnessed you kill their people and this is just gonna drive a deeper wedge into 
you know, this conflict and it's your fault. But at the same time, you're also thinking, well, what about this? And then you're also thinking, but what about this? I think the Orville handles that aspect very well. Like, yeah, sometimes they should point out and be like, this is wrong, but also it it's also it also leaves stuff up to philosophical debate between the fans and the audience outside of the show. But, you're right. They do that very well. Maybe the I should clear or change my statement to when they use the trope of the week for a joke, then yeah. it's just kind of brushed off. But then, yeah, yeah. it's actually a very, uh, I don't want to say poignant, but it's an interesting episode of Star Trek really explo- explored. Because, yeah, there's families on that ship. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, Orville's like, hey, yeah, we got to explore that. Where Star Trek was like, we only have families on the Enterprise D. Every other ship in the universe doesn't have family. It was always sort of implied that whenever the Enterprise D came across someone else's ship, that it was a warship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or then there was no chance that there would be families on it while they had plenty on their own, which really I didn't, I didn't think of until that Orville episode myself. So... Yeah. Yeah, good good job there on that point. Yeah, because Star Trek it was always like like Ducat, like, oh, you have a daughter? And, and it was, if, if someone had a kid, it was a plot point, but it was not normal. Right. And around. that point of thinking of your enemies as people, which yeah. Star Trek could do more of. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But uh, there are so many notes and so many comments I pulled, and we definitely don't have time to talk about all of them. But there is something I want to ask, and that is that one of the things that I saw very commonly when asking for people's opinions on the Orville, and just any time it's on on Twitter, is that the Orville is more Star Trek than Discovery. It's in the true nature of Star Trek. One true Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) I've hated them ever since uh, Enterprise was... uh big deal and now they just brought it to orville versus discovery uh, well i've hated that line of thinking I, not for people i say yeah, leave I, the leave the comparison out of it but what why why do we think people feel that way um well there's always you can go to the the um yeah the kind of base um that orville feels familiar orville has a white male captain um, Orville, it feels demographically comfortable hmm. um, in a way that Discovery does not um, to them. Because uh, again, with the early stuff in Discovery, you had the you had the the you know, Chinese captain, you had the the black you know the the black woman raised by Vulcans with a man's name, mm-hmm. you know. And all that stuff was really weird, and it was not the Star Trek I'm used to. Like, even though we had Benjamin Sisko, that was an aberration. Like, we don't we don't like this. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, again, and also Discovery is is very a very different Star Trek show than what people are used to. Um, yeah. People are used to the the we're you know seek out new life, new civilizations. We're exploring. We're doing things in oblique allegories. Um, you know, there was that show that we were on a space station that ended up in, in religious stuff, but we don't talk about that as often as we should. <laughs> uh, um, but mostly we're on ships running around doing stuff. We're not dealing with actual, you know, wars and the consequences of our actions. Um, and that's uncomfortable. Yeah, I was actually going to say that I think the big difference is that uh, Star Trek Discovery is... Um, it's new. It's trying to kind of evolve that franchise, whereas Orville is probably a little more nostalgic and familiar, and it's the and it's more in line with the Star Trek that people grew up with, especially Star Trek: The Next Generation. That's my the end of my thought. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it, it, it's a very, the familiarity, and it's also kind of a cross of Galaxy Quest, which people love it and adore mm-hmm. as well. And so, but I think we're all in agreement there. It does feel like classic Trek that people know and are familiar with. Yeah, I and, think the nostalgia uh, part of it is is a huge because it really does. We talked about it so much; it feels so much like TNG. But the thing is, is that these are two very different entities. Star Trek had a few comedic moments, but um, the Orville kind of revels in them and is not afraid to go referential. It's not afraid to. Uh, you know, punch down or go high, 
Whereas Star Trek Discovery, I have not watched it. I do not want to pay for CBS All Access. <laughs> is probably still more in line with the, you know, dramatic intake and exploring those philosophical issues more seriously. So you just hit on my next point, which is what? Do I win a prize? You do. <laughs> Uh, what we got a comment that was it was great to have something in the spirit of Trek that was on TV instead of behind a paywall. So I think that's a big contributor to it too. Is that because these shows are on at the same time, people are going to compare them, and there are still a lot of people who are really mad that they have to pay more to watch Discovery. And I wonder if that's where some of this. Well, that's not really Star Trek comes from yeah, yeah that I, wouldn't I think, that wouldn't surprise me yeah i can get behind I don't that like it when i don't like it when like tv networks hold tv shows hostage well no no it's terrible to watch them and i don't want it to sound like i'm dismissing this opinion but i found it very difficult to reply to this comment and ask for elaboration without sounding like a jerk <laughs> when the when the comment is it's truer to Star Trek that or the Orville is truer to Star Trek than Discovery, it's hard to start typing like, can you elaborate on that? What makes it more true without knowing that someone is going to read that as really? Tell me how. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the same conversation that's been on Reddit for years and years when it comes to like Enterprise. Uh and yeah, there's there's never any conversation that where it's like, okay, I can see your point. No, it always feels like a very defensive answer to a very aggressive question of right. why do you think that? We're in an age of outrage because of our immediate need for subjective perfectionism. <laughs> <laughs> so if there is someone who holds that opinion, who has made it all the way this far, please email crew at women at warp dot com and let me do know. Not email me. Honestly, <laughs> email me. like email what crew. <laughs> no, seriously. What what what, like... what is the answer to that question? What is what is the the trueness? Because I I don't I just don't know. Like I don't even know how to measure that. Right. Again, I think it's very subjective what yeah. people's truths are. It is, and there's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of people don't think of it as subjective. True. And, <laughs> and you also have to respect other people's truths. Mm-hmm. After even when they're wrong. That. <laughs> We're getting into a very complicated definition of true right now. <laughs> Truthiness. <laughs> yes. All right. So we've been at this for a while. Is there anything we have not addressed that anyone would like to address? You know, my partner absolutely despises Seth MacFarlane, and she watched this and can enjoy it on the surface level. So maybe it will help some others get in there. Mm. And I just dislike him at uh you know that level where she has a strong hate for him and was able to watch this and enjoy it when i first started watching the orville i would post on facebook that i was watching the orville and then i had a friend who came onto my facebook and uh and went on a rant about how terrible seth mcfarlane was and how i shouldn't give him free advertising by mentioning that i was watching his show when there are enough people who are going to be watching the shows so yeah there are people who feel very, very strongly about Seth MacFarlane, um, and I understand. I completely get it. Seth mm-hmm. MacFarlane has proven himself multiple times that he doesn't quite get it. Um, there are other ways that he does try um, to not be a garbage person, um, and then there are other times he finds himself in the dumpster. And it's really hard to figure out which which Seth you're going to get on any given day. Dumpster Seth or, or you know, just hanging out on the curb trying not to be in the bag Seth. Um, and I feel like the Orville is more of him being on the curb and not being in the dumpster. So he's trying. Um, an attempt was made. An attempt was made. <laughs> uh, whether it's a successful attempt, only time will tell. Apparently, in the upcoming season, I think they're gonna. They, I think they've mentioned not specifically that they're going to be making less dick jokes, but it was kind of implied. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so again for the people who are diehard uh seth haters this might not this might not win them over but at least um for the people who don't hate him with a brutal intense passion of a thousand fiery suns um you know it's it's it's, it's a good time <laughs> my thought is look it might be flawed but if you're having fun just watch what you want to watch 
It's like no show is going to be perfect. If you want a perfect show, you can watch Slings and Arrows. <laughs> that is a great show. It is an absolutely great show. It but, is okay you know, to enjoy problematic things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I'm trans and I was able to watch an episode and not absolutely despise it and hate it. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. There. I guess that's a, a point. <laughs> Just, just watch what you want to watch. Yeah. The end. <laughs> no more podcast. <laughs> a little bit more podcast. <laughs> uh, all right. So if anybody wants to yell at you about your opinions, <laughs> Casey, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at that Casey Ryan. That is the word that T-H-A-T Casey R-Y-A-N. And Tegan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Twitter at artful artful underscore username. I may or may not actually follow Twitter, but I there or elsewhere on the internet. I'm on Instagram. If you want to follow me doing daily drawings of things, that's fun. Uh, Under the same username. Yeah, and I'm just artful username on Tumblr, and I'm trying very hard not to turn it into a critical role Tumblr. But God, that show is so good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and Sabriel, where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Sabriality. And if you're like me and still have trouble spelling that after years and years, go to Sabriel.me <laughs> and has links to everything I do and write and produce and whatnot. Awesome. And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Speltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. You can find Women at Warp on Twitter at Women at Warp on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Women at Warp. Women at Warp.com. And the blog is also there or email crew at Women at Warp.com. And even though this is not a regular full episode, I will mention that if you'd like to, you can support us on Patreon on patreon.com slash women at warp. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.